Welcome to the Misfit Stars Podcast. I'm Shannon Curtis. And I'm Jamie Hill. Hi, listeners. Shannon and I are a married pair of working artists. How novel and exciting. (laughs) And this podcast is our weekly date for getting on microphones and talking with one another and with you about what's mattering to us this week. We are so glad you're here. And hi, Shannon. Hello. Hi there. Uh, Shall we start with an announcement, announcement, announcement? I I only have one. Whoa, you did single version of the song. I did. I love it. I actually do have one. Oh, okay, go ahead. Sure. Uh, Hey, everybody. Shannon's new record, Good To Me, is out in the world. Go listen to it. I'll put links in the show notes. But it's called Good To Me. You can look for it anywhere you listen to music. Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, Deezer, Cobuzz. Uh, anywhere you want to find it, it's there. Bandcamp, it's on Bandcamp. Yeah. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes that has links to every place you can find it, kind of, all the biggies. It's sort of a meta link. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can click on it. You can then find it wherever you live. You can also just go search for it. But we want you to hear it. If you are in touch with us and have not yet heard our new record, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> It's just like the most passive, easy thing you can do. You literally could just like put it on mid-drooling, continue drooling. Oh my goodness. And staring out into a middle distance while you listen to it. Literally just one finger push. Actually, what you're going to do is you're going to put it on and it's going to make you get up and dance around because it's fun. You could also do kitchen dancing. Kitchen dancing We were doing a tiny bit of kitchen dancing to Good To Me this very morning. It's true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are you done? Uh Uh-huh. Okay, great. My announcement is that the Good To Me book has been officially launched. Woohoo! As of Tuesday this week, uh, you can get a copy via Amazon. I'll put a link for that in the show notes too. The link in the notes. Thank you very much. And we have, by the time you're hearing this, we will have already started our online book club uh, for celebrating the release of the Good to Me book. Uh, Again, we're going to be woohoo. Yeah, we're going to be on uh, Instagram and Facebook Live Mm -hmm. every night, simulcasting, simulcasting for ten nights. Uh, We're going to be each night reading a chapter from the book. And to be clear, that's Shannon and me reading it to you out loud as though you were in kindergarten. I know. It's going to be great. Matt and little box of milk optional. And a little blankie. A blankie would be good. Um, But we're going to be reading the the book to you, the chapter, and then as we go, we'll be posing questions Mm -hmm. to anyone in the viewing audience. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when you... Post your thoughts in the comments. We will read them and discuss talk them. About We're gonna just—it's gonna be an interactive uh, discussion around the themes in this book. The, the book itself is—it's really my sort of like a, a deep dive into my own personal process that I mm-hmm. took last year mm-hmm. to reconnect to my peace and power in hard times. Yeah. The, the process, Relatable, right, people? Right? That process is what led to the songs on the album, Good To Me. Yeah. But the book itself is really just my journal entries sort of transcribed into this book. Yeah. And also, the really cool part, mm-hmm. is that it all the journal prompts that I gave myself are also in this book. So you can read my journal entries and the process that I went through, discovering the things that were robbing me of my peace and making me feel powerless. So that's helpful because it can kind of get you oriented around the thought process. Yeah, but the questions, the prompts themselves, you can use in your own life uh, to... You write your own essays. Excavate whatever might be troubling you. You do your own work. That's right. So really, it is it is a book that is just for you to do with and use however you would like to. If you feel like you could use a little bit of uh, help figuring out how to get back in touch with your personal sense of peace and get back in touch with with feeling the power that you have in your life, I hope that this will help. It really helped me. Like I, it really, really helped me last year. And I, and I just want to offer it to y'all if you need that too. I can tell you firsthand that we have seen the need for this out in the world, out in the wild. We were having dinner just a few nights ago with a dear friend who we hadn't seen in a while. And we asked her, how you doing? Literally, the first thing out of her mouth was, I'm stressed and overwhelmed with all the stuff that's going on in the world. Yeah. Literally what she led with after yeah. us having not seen her for literally like a couple of years because yeah. of the pandemic. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know it's out there. Mm-hmm. I know that like there's a lot going on and like it's hard to process and it can weigh upon your soul. Yeah, and sometimes it's hard to figure out how to navigate that. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of us have figured out tools over the years to use. Like, 
but sometimes just a little bit of direction is helpful. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? And that's what I hope this book is for This you. is just Shannon's perspective on that. Yeah. That's all it is. And it doesn't mean that it's like the word of God. You know what I mean? <laughs> but what it is, is good orderly direction from one person. And it might not take you down the same path that it took Shannon, right. but it might get you going in a productive way on a path yeah. of your own. Sometimes we all just need a little kick in the butt. That's right. That's all. That's it. So join us for the book club. Book if, you club. Have, if you haven't yet gotten the book, book club. Uh, order it. Uh, you'll find the link in the show notes. Book club. All right. <laughs> That's pretty badass. Thank you. Jamie, how are you feeling today? Oh, thanks for asking, sweetheart. I am feeling anticipatory and involved. Mm, mm, mm. Good words. I know. Good words, Do right? you want to elaborate? Sure, just briefly. Uh, there's just so much good stuff happening in our world. Uh, specifically, I'm feeling anticipatory today about book club. Mm -hmm. It's a new thing for us that we've never done. Yeah. And I'm just so excited. I think it will just be very earnest and fun. Yeah. 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 So that's going to be great. And involved is just like the longer view on all the stuff that I'm feeling anticipatory about, cool. but maybe some of the stuff that I was feeling anticipatory about like three weeks ago and now in the middle of, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. or the planning for the stuff that's about to happen. It's all just very involving. And so I feel involved. Duh. Cool. How about you? How are you feeling? I am feeling, I have three words, engaged, mm. inspired, mm. and vulnerable. Oh. Oh. Uh -huh. There was a twist at the end. Bam. No, I'm feeling really engaged. I, like, I, I'm really enjoying the work that we have going on right now. Um, there's some stuff that we're working on that we can't tell you about yet, but I'm so excited to tell you about. I know. It's so hopefully good. Hopefully soon. Um, and like so, multiple tracks, people. Yeah. All of it in the, aiming in the same direction. <laughs> all of it related to good to me. You yeah. can tease that much. And it's all rad. Yeah. So I'm feeling engaged in that work. I'm feeling inspired. There's some, you know, there was a big part of one of the projects that I sort of took a first bite out of last night and that felt good. Yep. Um, and so, and I'm feeling inspired to do that. It was the kind of inspiration that like, I thought I was going to like, conk out and not want to work past like 12 31 o'clock but i was up till after two <laughs> you yeah. know like that. that was one of those nights uh let me correct that record Ew. shannon was working hard until like as was i until like 257 oh okay it was closer to three it was basically I, don't three. I just wasn't looking at the clock but i'm yeah. also feeling a little vulnerable just because uh some of the stuff that we are working on is new mm -hmm. for us yep. and it's it feels big, and so I'm feeling a little bit, like, emotionally exposed. Like, ah, can I handle this? Can mm -hmm. we do this? You know? And of course um, we can. Well, I mean, my my brain can tell me that, and I know that I can, like, divide the task down into smaller bites and, like, figure out how to get, get there. But, like, I just feel, I'm feeling like, ee, but it's okay. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I just acknowledge that. It's not like it's crippling vulnerability feeling. Oh, it's, it's, it's all good. So that's how I'm feeling today. Um, why don't we uh, get less dumb? Class, anyone? Anyone? You've got two. I've got one. How about you go first? Okay, so this this first one is a post that I read on Mastodon. Uh, the woman who posted it is named Christina dunbar Hester, uh, and she she writes in uh, techno politics. She's a writer, um, interesting interesting person. Um, but she wrote this about uh, a a piece about the about like energy, uh, like our energy uh, fossil fuel usage that mm. kind of thing. Um, and I, I think that she's citing um, a paper maybe from the University of Chicago in in this. Okay, so. Here's what she has to say. She goes, if we switched to renewable energy, okay, so off of fossil fuels and we're just on renewable energy, mm -hmm. the number of ships crossing the ocean mm -hmm. would fall almost in half. Whoa. Because they're just carrying coal and oil and gas. Whoa. Um, the port of Long Beach exports a good deal of petroleum, coke, and coal that are deemed too dirty to burn in the US. Mm -hmm. So they're shipped elsewhere. So if the world switched to renewable energy something like close to half of those ships that are currently, there's a map she, she, she posted in this post that have like red dots and green dots and like the red dots represent um, uh, ships that are that are tankers. Yeah. So they're the ones that are taking like the fossil fuels around the world. Yeah. And the green dots is like everything else. Yeah. And it's like half of the dots are red. Bonkers. And like the shipping fuel itself is a big pollutant. Sure. And so like- Crazy. If we were to reduce- our general usage on fossil fuels worldwide, we would also cut down on the need to have so many ships in the ocean. Wow. 
taking this stuff all around. Also, how wild is it that, like, we have standards here in the United States. We want clean air in the United States, so there's certain fuels that we deem too dirty to burn here. So we put them on a boat, and we ship them west, and they get burned in Asia. <laughs> but guess which direction winds blow? They blow east. So it all comes back to us anyway, because the planet is all but connected. It doesn't even matter about the wind, because the planet is connected. The, the, the layer of carbon that we've got going on, yeah. you know, that's creating climate change, like that's that's worldwide. It doesn't matter where it's burned. It's just so. a really, really long range version of like spitting into the wind, <laughs> but aiming the wrong direction. Well, how about we ship like renewable energy, like technology to those places instead? Like we we could do better. Uh, this is on a related note. I saw somebody else posting, and I don't. I just thought of it now, so I don't have the source. Mm. But somebody else that I read yesterday was talking about how there are some people who have estimated that fossil fuel usage worldwide peaked in 2019. Mm. That we're actually on the downward side of fossil fuel usage worldwide. And you remember how a couple of weeks ago I was mentioning how I had been reading about how battery technology is right on the sort of yeah. cusp of a hockey stick upward incline yes. where the storage is just going to start really multiplying rapidly. Like the technology is just kind of maturing. Mm -hmm. So like I know that the big thing that people say about fossil fuel decrease is, well, how are we going to make it so that we don't need fossil fuels batteries. for cars and trucks. <laughs> and it's going to be batteries. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> nice Metallica reference, Thank sweetheart. Thank you. I'm, I'm here for you. What's yeah. your item for this uh, Let's Get Less Dumb segment? Oh, yeah. So just a quick little thing we, that we read just today uh, in the Seattle Times about how to use COVID rapid tests properly. Oh, yeah. It was so helpful. So long story short, you know, there's this whole thing that we've been all trying, every single person listening to this, us too, trying to navigate, right, for the last couple of years, like, when do you take the test and what does it mean when it says it's positive or negative at a certain time right. in the arc of whether you did or didn't get COVID? It's all really complicated because like practically speaking, like you want to go see a friend, you're concerned that you had an exposure, but you've got a really important meeting maybe you got to get to, you want to mm -hmm. go, the incentives are for you to go, but you don't want to infect people. You take the test and it's negative, but you're wondering, like, I'm pretty sure I got exposed. The person who I was hanging out with yesterday mm. just said they got it. Mm -hmm. What do I do? Well, check this out. Yeah. I'm just going to read directly a paragraph from this article. It's so helpful. Yeah. Rapid tests are best used as an indicator of when you're contagious with COVID-19 rather than when you're infected with it, says this doctor who is an associate professor of global health at UW, University of Washington. And in order to prevent the spread of the virus... Contagiousness is what really matters, right? right? Uh -huh. Supporting this idea, scientists in this guy's lab found that samples taken from people with COVID-19 who had very low levels of the virus below what a rapid test can detect were unable to infect cells in a Petri dish. Amazing. So basically in a lab setting, they tested like taking cells from people who do have COVID, but who have it so mildly that it won't trigger a test to be positive, those people can't make an infection in a Petri dish. Yeah. Meaning they also probably can't make an infection in you or me. Right. Right? And so this suggests that people with small amounts of the virus also wouldn't be able to infect another person. Right. So long story short, what you do is you take a test before you go hang out with people, and if the test is negative... Go hang out with them because you're not going to infect them. And you ask Most them to do the likely. same for you. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me feel a lot more secure about just hanging out with folks. Yes. Because like if you're hanging out with them, if we have someone over for dinner um, and we have the discussion, are you, do you have any symptoms of illness? You know, and if, no, if, if nobody has any symptoms and if nobody is tested positive, yeah. we're probably fine. We're probably, we're probably fine. really good. Like, pr I'm, and if no one has any symptoms... You don't even probably need to test right. because if you don't have symptoms, you're not going to trigger a positive test. We know this. Right, right. It felt encouraging to me. And I know that everybody's making their own calculations, but for me, that seems to feel like a comfortable spot. Like when I'm going around in public, like if I'm in the grocery store, and if I'm not around anybody these days, I, I feel pretty okay without masking. But like if there's a if there's a crush of people, you know, I don't know who's got symptoms of illness or who doesn't in the grocery store or, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. So I'm going to mask up in those scenarios, you know, just because it's, it's a less controlled environment. But in terms of like hanging out with people, it just made me feel a lot more just about the whole thing. That was I feel really, foo too. That was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, okay. I've got one more. Let's get less dumb. Either. Okay. 
And this kind of relates to uh, an issue that I'm going to bring up in a future segment on this podcast. So we won't get like deep into it, but I thought this was really interesting. Okay. Uh, it was a post on, again, on Mastodon, uh, linking to a blog by Noah Smith, who's an economist, a, a, a blogger on the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but, it, but this has to do with policing. Policing. Um, so there were two sort of infographs that were in his blog. Um, and the blog was about like larger issues, but these two stuck out to me. Um, did you know, so like the, there are like required hour, hours of training in lots of different professions, right? Sure. So like, there was, to, like you got to do this much training before you get signed off on and you're allowed to go do the thing. Exactly. Yeah. So for a lawyer, yeah. that number is like, let me see here, I got to zoom in. That number is like mm, close to 5,000 hours. Well, that's a lot a of lawyer, hours, yeah. Right? Um, it's it's a little bit less than 5,000, but close to a, a nurse is uh, about 4,500 hours. Wow, okay. Okay. Good, yep. A plumber is about 3,500 hours. Okay. Okay, great. Yeah. Want to make sure that our pump, our, our pipes are properly hooked up. That's because good. if they aren't, it could ruin your house. That's could, very important. Yeah. Yep. A cosmetologist? Sure. Uh, 3,000 hours. 3,000 hours. To be a cosmetologist. So to be able to properly like sterilize tools and do nails and, yeah. uh, and uh, soaks and scrubs. Yep, yep, yep. yep. 3,000 hours. Okay. Police officer, do you want to guess? Oh man, I mean, if a cosmetologist is 3,000 hours, I guess probably for cops, it would be what? Seven or 8,000 hours. 500 hours. Surely you missed a zero. 500 hours. Huh. So a cosmetologist who's doing your nails. Yeah. Or if you're cutting your hair, scissors. Six times more hours of training required to do those things than the person who's carrying a weapon and who is essentially licensed to do state violence. With impunity and no recourse. <laughs> right. Right. Crazy, right? Huh, and that it, seems bad. Right? I, it was eye-opening to me, honestly. Mm. Um, and the other infograph that was related to this was um, he, it was showing the hours of police training required in different countries. Mm-hmm. And in France, for instance, it's not France, excuse me, Finland. Finland. It was a different F country. Uh-huh. In Finland, it's close to 5,500 hours of police training that they have to get before they... You know, so more than lawyers here in the U.S., right? Like, yeah. you have to be, it's like a profession. It's a profession, right? Yeah. If you're spending that many hours, you know, doing the training for it. Yeah. Germany, it's uh, about 4,000 hours. Mm-hmm. Australia, 3,500 hours. Mm. England, it's like between 2,000 and 2,500 hours. This all seems pretty appropriate, though. Yeah. Yeah. Canada, 1,000 hours. And again, the United States is just over 500 hours. Mm. So like there are places that do, that actually take that more seriously. And like it requires more of a commitment to people who are doing this. this, And it becomes a, it's a profession. If you're spending that kind of an investment on your preparation, education, training, and that kind of thing, it just really levels up the whole, the whole thing. And I don't know if that's part of our solution for, better policing or not, but it was an interesting fact and I wanted to share it with y'all. I love it. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So, uh, this feels important. Please hold for a very important message. I'm going to go first on this one. Yep. And it is related to, well, it is about policing. Um, uh, It's been in the news this last week, um, a 29-year-old man in Memphis named Tyree Nichols was murdered earlier this month by a group of police officers who stopped him for what, a traffic stop? That's like, what they said. They said it was that, but it's really nothing. It was just bullshit, yeah. Yeah. They beat him for three mon- three minutes and he died later in the hospital. Um, by the way, then this, this is not in my notes here about this topic, but uh, Heather Cox Richardson shared um, Tyree Nichols' photography website in your yes. newsletter last week. Mm-hmm. Can we link that in the show notes also? Yeah, no problem. I'll dig it up now. I didn't want to watch the um, the video that was re- released of his of the beating um, for reasons, uh, which I can explore here in a minute. But like, um, but but I just felt like being able to look at his photography, which was beautiful, was a really, um, I appreciated that opportunity to be able to honor his life. Um, and his uh, mm-hmm. just him as a person, yeah. uh, in in he a way was... that's not related to the fact that he was killed by police. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So anyway, that that that's the story. I'm sure you've heard it. It's it's everywhere. You can't um, miss it. We were at com- we were in a conversation the other night with some friends, and the subject came up uh, about the Tyree Nichols, you know, um, murder in Memphis, and you know, there's there's 
as a, is always the case with these kinds of conversations, I feel like there's always a sense of like, well, what can be done? You know, mm -hmm. like we're just, it, we feel it's it's so easy in the face of a problem that feels so intransigent just to do nothing or to, or to be like, just kind of like, what? Like, how, how can, how can we stop this? You know, but we, we do feel something about it, right? Yeah. Like we do, we do have feelings when we hear the news about these kinds of things. And I think a common impulse, and I've, and I've had this impulse in, in the past, um, and I see it, you know, in, in people like on social media and stuff, is like to dive all the way into the spectacle, like yeah. find out all you can about this particular incident and, you know, of, and, and of each new police killing that happens. You kind know. of obsess on the details and the yeah. drama and the gore and the horror. Yeah, with, I think... I think what I what I think about that is that maybe it's sort of like this misguided belief that like if we immerse ourselves in it, in the you know the gore of it, like you just said, and like posting about it like on social media about how disgusting it is, that, that that's maybe like enough to feel like we've done our part, you know? Yeah. And but ultimately, it doesn't really do anything. Like we're just like we're we're immersing ourselves in this in it and like posting about it relentlessly, and it doesn't really do anything. And ultimately, we just end up kind of like shaking our head and walking on, or like moving moving on because like there's not there's not those actions haven't done anything, right? Right. Except for just like oh, it's disgusting. And, and but that's just it's not acceptable, right? To, to just to just move on from this killing to the next killing to the next killing. And even if you just, even if you immerse yourself in all of it, like I chose not to watch the video because I don't Same. know that that's going to do any good. Yeah. Um. I, I think at some point, you know, I, I think it's important that they release videos like that for accountability's sake. Yep. I, because like, you know, in this case, the police report before the video was released, the, the initial police report described the incident one way mm -hmm. and the video contradicted pretty much everything in the police report, right? Yeah. So like, it's important that the that the, those things I think are released for accountability, but like, I don't know, I don't think that there's, there's anything productive about me viewing that. I think it, in some cases it just becomes kind of like violence porn. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, but it, it, but it's not acceptable to do nothing. It's not acceptable to just look away either. It's not acceptable to like throw up our hands and be like, well, what can be done? Because mm -hmm. people are dying. Like mm -hmm. even after all of those Black Lives Matter protests a couple of years ago after George Floyd's murder, you know, last year, 2022, there were more murders by police in 2022 than any year on record. I know, like, right? It's not so like, improving. So like 2020... It was defund the police and everyone's aware and things are going to change. And then what actually happened in 2021 and 2022, just to be perfectly clear, is that police budgets yeah. have gone up more or less across the board. Right. And so have police murders. Yes. So it's going in the totally wrong direction. Right. From what we all wanted it to go and assumed after 2020, I think to some degree it would go. Right. Because there was so much visibility on it. Right. And, and, and awareness. And as and in reaction to all that, our leaders, so many of our leaders were were talking about and still talk about police reform. Yeah. You know, and they've been talking about reform for years, but it's clearly not working. Right. Like the evidence is there. It's not working. And I just want to ask you listening, me speaking here, everybody, is that okay with you? Hmm. Like is it okay with you that that the stuff that we've been quote unquote trying isn't working? Is that acceptable? Like, it's just not okay to be like, well, we tried, nothing to be done, I guess, which I think is, it's a natural response to things, to mountains that feel so big, right? Right. But I've been thinking about how we might direct our rage slash disgust mm -hmm. slash disillusionment mm -hmm. towards something productive mm -hmm. because it's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not acceptable to just keep getting angry and then keep throwing our hands up and you know, despair because we can't do anything. Yeah, trying something small that probably won't work and then when it doesn't work, right. being all pissed off it didn't work. So like, what can we do individually? And here's just an idea and I don't know, I don't know how, how, how helpful this is or not, but it's what I've got, okay? okay? Maybe we take that energy that we feel when these things happen mm -hmm. and we direct it. We start directing that energy at imagining alternatives to policing. Mm -hmm. Like, what if we think way outside the box? What if we stopped having police altogether? Like, and I don't want you to shy away from that question mm. because it sounds extreme to you. Like, let your mind go there. Like, 
police abolition, it, it is the position of a lot of the leaders who are on the front line in this fight, mm -hmm. the people who have studied it, the people who know the history, the people who've examined the legacy of white supremacy and slavery that exists and persists in policing. Mm -hmm. Like, they know their position is, is abolition. Mm. Uh, so why? Why would that be the, the case? These are also the leaders who have the most skin in the game because people who look like them are the ones that are way more likely to get killed by police, mm -hmm. right? So here's the thing. The, the idea of abolition isn't what's extreme either. What's extreme is that we currently allow a group of people to go around committing state-sponsored violence on people mm. in our communities. That's the extreme thing. Yeah, that's wild. It's not okay, right? So, And so, it happens... So, so little in other countries. Yeah, yeah. Like you can basically sort of draw a graph of how democratic a place is and how many police murders there are and they kind of line up, mm -hmm. right? Like the, the better and more civilized and more democratic a place is, mm -hmm. the better it takes care of its citizens, the better the social safety net mm -hmm. is, the lower the police murders are. Right. right, right. I mean, in Scandinavia, if one police murder happens in a year, it's a huge, huge deal. Right. Front page news, right. very unusual, mm -hmm. you know? And here they happen so frequently as to be absolutely just wallpaper. I mean, it's, 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 three, numbing. it's three a day. It's numbing, isn't it? Yep. So here's my challenge. I want us all, myself included, and anyone who's listening to me right now, to think about this question, what if we stopped having police altogether? What do you think that we could do to ensure public safety without policing like we know it right now? Mm -hmm. What are your ideas? Like, I want to hear your ideas. Message us. Right? What are your ideas about, like, what policies we could enact that would actually create safe, healthy, thriving communities where crime isn't any longer a survival mechanism. Right. Like, what could we do instead of all the billions and billions of dollars we throw into militaristic policing in our country? What if we use that money for things? Like, what else? What are your ideas? I want, I'm like, I want you to think about it. I want you to, like, I want you to, like, spend time. I want, if, you, if you are feeling rage and disgust or disillusionment because of, the Tyree, because of Tyree Nichols' murder mm -hmm. or whatever next one hits the news, mm -hmm. Maybe instead of like posting your rage about it, maybe post some ideas about what we could do differently. Maybe like start writing down some ideas. Like start start imagining what else might be possible. And if you come up with a good list and you come up with some good ideas, I mean, let us know. We would love to see them. But let your representatives know. Yes. Let your congressperson know and your senators. Yes. You have two senators, you have one congressperson. Let them all know. Let your local officials know. That's let your exactly mayor it. know. This is exactly my last point here is that like I, 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 I want us to put our energy into actually brainstorming radical ideas. Okay, like radical change. Talk about them with your people. Start that conversation in your social circles call and write your local representatives about what your ideas are and ask them what their ideas are. What local representative of mine, you know, local, like my mayor, my city council, county people, hey, what are your ideas for radical change? Like, oh, like I'm gonna, we need to ask them what their ideas are. We need to inspire everybody we know to start imagining what else is possible because the current, the status quo isn't acceptable. Yeah. And I, I really think that like, we're not gonna achieve the wholesale kind of change that we need until enough of us have imagined a different future and put our energy into believing that a just future is possible. Mm -hmm. Like we can't do, we can't do the, well, we've tried, it's just impossible to change. No. Not acceptable. People are dying. What are your ideas for something radically different? I love it. That's my challenge to us. Okay. All right, people, you heard her. You, you heard the lady. <laughs> so what are you going to do? Yeah. Start thinking of ideas. If you want to share ideas with us, you can uh, write about them on Facebook and you can tag us. Sure. That's a good way because then all your people will see them. So do yep. that. Or Instagram, whatever. Mm -hmm. Mastodon. Totally. Tag us. Yeah. We will signal boost the shit out of you. Absolutely. We, uh, we feel strongly about this. This is something that we need to start thinking about as a society. Shannon and I have started thinking about it personally. And, you know. That's yeah, the whole point. Yeah, yes. Like, you can too. Yeah. Everybody should be doing that. Yes. Did you have an item for our This Feels Important segment? I do, actually. Oh, well, and it's sort of related to what you're talking I about. I would love to hear it. Okay, so let's think about what I'm about to talk about in the context of policing, okay? So uh, as 
Longtime listeners to this podcast know I subscribe to a lot of people's different email newsletters so I can get a bunch of different ideas I, in my ideas head. and thoughts. All of the time. It's so great. And so I was reading Brian Class's uh, newsletter, his most recent one. And it was apropos of, you know, the, the Tyree Nichols situation and how to reduce police violence more generally, right? Uh, and he made the point that, you know, whenever anyone in uniform commits an act of horrific violence, it's not long before someone in the debate will invoke the Stanford prison experiment. Mm -hmm. uh, so are you aware of the Stanford prison experiment? I, I'll I, recap it. Yeah, please do. Okay. I, I need a recap. I Great. know that so I've heard it, but I don't know. So here's what the Stanford prison experiment is. Uh, in the early 1970s, the Stanford psychologist Philip Zimbardo built a fake jail on the Stanford campus, mm. and he placed an ad asking for volunteers to participate in a, quote, psychological study of prison life. Okay. He then divided those who volunteered into prison guards and prisoners. And soon... In the experiment, the prison guards were abusing the prisoners <gasps> in horrific ways. What? And it was all separated and virtual. It wasn't like they were literally beating them with sticks, but it was kind of like role-playing. Like, oh. what do you want to do? What do you think we should do here? Push a button to administer a shock, that oh, kind of thing. okay. Right? Okay. Um, and soon, the prison guards were abusing the prisoners in horrific ways. So horrific that the experiment had to be shut down early. Oh, my God. Like, the, yeah, the students who volunteered uh, to be the, the prison guards, mm -hmm. uh, they just went ham. They were... It, it, it was like Lord of the Flies. Wow. Right? And the lesson, and I'm reading now from, from some excerpted stuff from Brian Class's piece. Okay. <clears throat> the lesson seemed clear. Put on the right uniform and you too can become a monster. Power corrupts. Yeah. And that is a lesson that everyone has taken from this. That's the lesson that anyone who has studied this or has heard about it has taken away. That is the canonical idea of what the lesson from the Stanford prison experiment was. Okay. That if you get placed in a position like that, mm -hmm. it will corrupt you. Okay. Okay? However, about 15 years ago, researchers at Western Kentucky University decided to check something. They replicated the recruitment advertisement for the Stanford Prison Experiment. Then, in half the ads, they tweaked the wording slightly. They changed for a psychological study of prison life to for a psychological study. Okay. They just took out the words of prison life. Okay. The idea was to see who volunteered, depending on whether the wording suggested wielding power or a generic study, right? Okay. Like, basically, they had one ad with the for prison life mm -hmm. and one ad without, and they wanted mm -hmm. to see what different kinds of people were attracted by the wording. Interesting. And they tested them on totally other stuff to see the psychological makeup of the people who responded to the two different ads. Okay. Okay. Yes. The results were astonishing. The study showed that people who responded to the advertisement that included the word prison scored much higher in terms of aggressiveness, authoritarianism, <gasps> Machiavellianism, narcissism, and social dominance, and significantly lower on dispositional empathy and altruism. <gasps> right? That finding could invert the conclusions of the Stanford Prison Experiment in ways that fundamentally transform our understanding of power. Instead of demonstrating that ordinary people thrust into power can become sadistic, it may demonstrate that sadistic people seek out power. <laughs> Maybe we've had it completely backward. Maybe power is just a magnet for bad people rather than a force that turns good people bad. In that formulation, power doesn't corrupt, it attracts. Oh my God. Right? And he uh, continues, this has important implications for policing, particularly in the context of U.S. departments that are known for a militaristic approach to law enforcement and a history of disproportionate racial violence. Right? The fundamental problem, he says, with American policing is not that the uniform turns people bad. Instead, there's a self-selection problem. Mm -hmm. Power attracts corruptible people more generally, and power centers with a history of abusive militaristic and racist violence mm -hmm. disproportionately attract people who want to abuse minorities or use lethal force. Oh my God. Those are the exact people, he says, who shouldn't be in uniform <laughs> because they see that kind of culture as an attractive profession. Right. But that, and so that's too often who applies. People who should never be in uniform self-select into uniform. Oh my god! Right, and then like I'm not going to read anymore. But I was reading further in the article, and he and he went on to talk about how like 
how police departments advertise can hugely affect the kind of person that gets attracted. Oh, I'm sure. And so he showed an ad from some police department, some local PD somewhere in Alabama, and it was just a video ad like you'd show on TV, you yeah. know? And it was freaking bonkers with like tanks and <gasps> shooting and 50 caliber rifles and everyone in hugely militaristic like cosplay. Right. Right? And then by comparison, uh-huh. he showed a uh, an ad for policing that was shown in New Zealand. Okay. Now, New Zealand does not have a violence in policing problem, right? Not as much. I mean, there's always going to be some of this kind of thing, right? Because again, the type of job attracts the wrong sort of person. Right. But you can minimize this. New Zealand has started showing ads for policing that... The, the, the tagline is, do you care enough to be a policeman, <laughs> right? And it's like, and it's it's none of this militaristic shit, right? Uh-huh. It's just like cops, but like helping old ladies across the street and helping little kids with your homework and playing basketball and just yeah. doing positive, helpful things in the community. And apparently the dynamic has completely changed there in terms of the recruits. type of recruits who apply. Because if you do the violent ads, what you're going to do is you're going to attract people who are like, fuck yeah, <laughs> I want to shoot some people in a tank. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you do the being kind and helping people out, you're going to attract people who are like, heck yeah, I want to be kind and help people out. <laughs> Why wouldn't they have the that same voice? That's really good, yeah. I, I don't like want to do stereotypes. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that you was know. awesome. But people who are attracted to being public servants. Yeah. That's Not, it. If you emphasize the public service aspect, what you get is public service-minded recruits. <laughs> it's not complicated. So this is a path wow. forward. When you're talking about what are practical paths forward that we could take, I mean, we could make it illegal to do militaristic advertisement. Right. There might be free speech issues around that, but there could be public safety concerns that over that trump it. Like, I don't know how yeah. that would work from a legal standpoint. Mm-hmm. But imagine if we actively tried for police departments just to recruit nicer people. Mm-hmm. and not attract violent scumbags. Right. We wouldn't have as many violent scumbags in the police. Right. And maybe we would have less murdering and more helping. Yeah, yeah. I think there's still a question to be asked about the institution of policing itself. Oh, for sure. For that sure. needs some radical readjustment. 100%. <laughs> but, also, 100%. but also, I see your point. I'm, I'm yeah. all about an all of the above sure. solution. Because yeah. you know what? Your brainstorming thing, super great. Are we getting rid of policing in a few days? I'm just maybe going to throw it out there, no. Well, no. So incremental ways to improve the thing even as we're working yeah, to get rid you know, of it, here's great, how the, Here's right? how I think that t- they tie together. It's, it's a focus on how we spend our, our resources to create healthy, safe communities. Mm-hmm. And one of those ways is to, you know, to, to create a public service, maybe a public service force that has more of an emphasis on the actual service and yeah. and less on the guns and tanks and yeah. bullshit like that. Seriously. I, yeah, I think I think that there's room for all of the above as well. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that was really interesting. Right? Thank you for that. I really that was that was wild. Yeah, Very I cool. know. I felt that way when I saw it too. I am definitely in the mood and could use a stop at the inspiration station. Inspiration station. Would you like to go first or would you like me to? Go for it. Okay. So I have like a two-parter Ooh. this time. Okay. 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 So the first thing is just like a quote that I read okay. yesterday. It's from a, a monk and a writer whose name was Thomas Merton. Mm-hmm. He was born uh, mm-hmm. on January 31st, the day we're recording this, in 1915. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, Do not be too quick to assume your enemy is a savage just because he is your enemy. Perhaps he is your enemy because he thinks you are a savage. Mm -hmm. Or perhaps he is afraid of you because he feels that you are afraid of him. And perhaps if he believed you are capable of loving him, he would no longer be your enemy. (laughs) Wow, that's great. Right? Mm -hmm. And so in my mind, and this is the two-part part, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in my mind, I tied this in with an idea I read just today in a Washington Post Mm Op-ed. So uh, this op-ed was written by a uh, a black woman. Uh, It's the beginning of a series, uh, and she is a Harvard researcher. The the title of the thing is, America is in a great pulling apart. Can we pull back together? Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's going to be a series, and she was sort of setting it up. But she said this thing, and I'm just going to repeat it, decontextualize, the context isn't important for this. Uh, She says, she's just talking about her family as as a background, you know, talking about how people can argue and disagree about Mm -hmm. politics. And Mm -hmm. she said, 
Family gatherings were amazing forums for debate. My dad and aunt would go at it. He, tall and skinny, bald, with a wreath of pipe smoke curling around his head. She, gay, built like a Mack truck, and with an incredible belly laugh. They agreed on what they were after, empowerment for themselves, their families, and their communities. But they disagreed mightily on how to get there. My dad argued for market freedoms and civic virtues. My aunt argued for public sector investment across society and experiments in living. But they never broke the bonds of love. They debated the ideas, but they never fought the people. Mm -hmm. And to me, the link between these two things that I have just cited is the idea that there is, a, there is what feels like a new, vicious, ad hominem aspect to political, societal, social debate right now in our country mm -hmm. that we would do really, really well again, operating on a personal level in whatever personal capacity each of us can, to back away from. I know that I have been guilty of this. I know that I have been guilty of demonizing people who, I don't support Trump or mm -hmm. support the police or support whatever horrible current thing is happening. And there are mm -hmm. many things, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It has been something that I've done personally to be like, these are bad people who I hate and I, I will not talk to them. Right. I am feeling an inspiration from this idea that maybe it's really good to get back to a place where we can debate the ideas, but never, but don't fight the people, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. separate them out. Good people can have bad ideas. Mm -hmm. Bad people can have bad ideas, but also bad people with bad ideas can evolve over time and change their ideas and become better people, maybe even good people. Well, I mean, I, the whole idea of good and bad people is problematic. That's right. right. Like, That's exactly the point, right? We're, we're all good and bad people. Like, yes. I, I think as I'm hearing you share this about something that I heard in a conversation between uh, Brene Brown and uh, was it Ibram X. Kendi? I'm trying to remember who. I think I think it was a conversation with Ibram Kendi um, about anti-racism and like the talk, talking about how it's never productive mm -hmm. for the cause of like anti-racism, for example, mm -hmm. to dehumanize people who have uh, who have bad ideas, right? Yeah, like when you when you when you do dehumanization, uh -huh. you are contributing to the problem, right? 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 And so that's a line that we all really need to be cognizant cognizant of. Yeah, you know, it's it feels really cathartic to say, I hate these people. Yeah. <laughs> and I have done it too, you yep. know? Um, so like as, as, as a part of a commitment to, to being a productive person in the cause for change and justice mm -hmm. and all of that, mm -hmm. I, I need to make as a forefront of all of that, a, a focus on, um, on on honoring the humanity of every person, even if I find their ideas to be abhorrent. Yeah, that's so good, right? No, yeah. no bad people, just bad ideas. Yeah. Well, little mantra. I don't know. We're all good at bad people. That's what, that's my that's still my <laughs> stance on that. Yeah. You know, I, I no, think. No, I don't know if I agree with you. Really? I understand where you're coming from, and I appreciate you, you know, casting your lot in with that. But I don't think they're. I don't think that we're bad people. I don't think there's maybe such a thing. There, are, with some limited exceptions, there are there are some limited exceptions. I mean, there are people, sociopaths. There are sociopaths, right? And there are incurably bad people. But I don't think mostly that's the case. Yeah. I think they're extreme outliers, yeah. right? I mean, like a one in ten thousand kind of thing. And I think that mostly, much more when we're like, that's a bad person. It's not a bad person. It's a person with a bad idea, mm -hmm. right? And the person, like our experience of them, might be bad. Mm -hmm. in that moment, mm -hmm. right? But it's not the same as them being a bad person. Yeah. They have a history. They have a past. They have things that they want in their lives that are probably extremely similar to the things that I want in my life. Because mm -hmm. we all want basically the same things, right? Food, clothing, yeah. shelter, emotional nourishment, maybe someone to touch your private parts every once in a while, <laughs> right? <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> Just the basics. You know what I mean? 
And like, I, 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 it's good to recognize that I share those baseline yeah. needs with somebody who is currently pissing me off with their extremely bad right. ideas. I want to say also, as an addendum to that thought, because I agree with you, that there are some people whose actions based on their bad ideas are genuinely harmful. Yes. And just because you're keeping in the forefront of your mind someone's humanity does not mean that they get to have access to your life or that they get to be part of your life. Right. Or that, you know, because right. like, there are harmful... Boundaries do still exist. Yes. And like anyone who's, who's acting in a dehumanizing way towards you... You can love them from a distance. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, love you can is a root for word. them from a distance. You can you can honor their humanity from a distance. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, like uh, yeah, because th uh, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. Yeah, what you got? Um, so mine's kind of more just. It's not really like ooey gooey inspiration. It was sort of more funny. <laughs> Um, but also gave me something to think about. So okay. I want to read to you. This is from the New York Times Metropolitan Diary section from a couple days ago on the 29th. And I think that these are just like little snippets, like little stories that their readers send in of like stuff that happened to them around the city. Mm -hmm. And this guy, uh, the, the reader's name is Stephen Scharf. Mm -hmm. And he, he writes into the, and the New York Times publishes, Dear Diary, I was taking a walk in the Wall Street area a few years ago when I decided to pop into a deli. I ordered a sandwich and began chatting with the proprietor as he made it. Our conversation, conversation eventually turned to the shop's location. I asked whether being in the financial district ever caused him to play the stock market or led to his getting valuable tips from informed customers. He paused his sandwich making, put down his knife, and looked at me with a perplexed expression. Quote, Every day, those brokers come in here, he said. They get their bagels, sandwiches, donuts, coffee, cigarettes. He paused again and pointed toward the door of the shop. And every day, they're out there on the sidewalk, pushing and shoving on a door that is clearly marked pull. <laughs> and I just thought to myself, oh my God, what a beautiful illustration mm. of the fact that we tend to ascribe like big smarts and like a level of importance to people who wear suits and work on the stock market and who are big, important business people, mm. right? And these are the people who are pushing on a door a labeled pole. I love it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I love it's it. It's just sometimes the package is just a myth. It's just we, we buy into the myth of a persona, you know, yep. because of, of the package. And like, we're all just dumbass humans. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Gary Larson uh, had a Far Side cartoon about this. Uh, there is a... The, the cartoon is um, a kid uh, at the door of a school uh, and there's a sign by the stairs leading up to the door that says Midvale School for the Gifted and he is pushing with all his might this kid is on a door clearly marked yeah, pole. Yeah, similar story. Yeah, yeah. I love it. So, so anyway, good. I thought that, that was great and I just wanted yeah. to share it. So uh, how about we wrap up things with a gratitude crank up? What are you grateful for, Jamie? What I am grateful for today, I'm grateful that we get to make and think about music and art all day, every day. <laughs> yeah. It's just really nifty. Yeah. Someone reflected that back to me on, on a Mastodon. Like, I have this practice that I have uh, taken to on Mastodon. Every day that I do work, you know, so mm -hmm. Monday through Friday, generally, trying to take weekends, uh, I'll just do a hashtag today's work post and I'll just mm -hmm. recap what I did. Mm -hmm. You know, just sort of sharing my process as it unfolds day after day after day. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I made my post late last night at the end of the day like I have been doing every day. Uh, you know, I just shared what I was up to. Some of it was mentoring, some of it was working on a mix, uh, you know, just normal stuff I do. Mm -hmm. And this guy replied, and he's like, this just sounds like a perfect day. <laughs> and he's, he's like, you are very lucky to be able to do what you do all day. Mm. And I was like, man, that's so true. Yeah. It's yeah. really true. Totally. And you know, I didn't need him saying it to think about it because I think about it all of the time. Yeah. I am in active gratitude every single day. I, I have worked shitty jobs. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I have uh, so you know what to compare it to. Totally. <laughs> yeah. And I don't. And I don't come from money either. You know what I yeah. mean? So like, I don't take any of this for granted to be able to do this and not have a day job that I also need to support myself with, which is the reality for most musicians. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that, and it's great. Yeah. But to have a chance to fully immerse myself into this space of being as a person in the world, yeah. you know, for decades now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's extraordinary. It is. It's quite a gift, and I feel very, very lucky about it. So that's what I feel grateful for today. That's cool. How about you? Uh, mine's kind of related, actually. Oh. I, my, I'm grateful for the people who invite the work that I do into their lives. I, oh, yeah. I, you know, I, I made this book good to me to go along with the album, you mm-hmm. know, hoping that it would be beneficial to some people. I started getting messages from folks who've received their copies who ordered it early Mm -hmm. um, before launch day and sharing with me how the ideas have actually been really helpful and inspiring to them, that they've actually taken on board the stuff that I share in the book. And I kind of felt a little flabbergasted, like, like, oh my God, that's really, that's cool. You know, like I I, I offered it with the hope that it would be helpful. but the fact that people actually like have gone out and gotten the book yeah. and like read it yeah. and like have started, you know, uh, taking these ideas on board into their own lives in ways that are helping them. It's amazing. It's really, I'm so grateful so cool. for people doing that and, yeah. and for taking the time to share it with me that too. Also, really yes. Cool. Oh man, that's great. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Well, how cool. Uh, People, we're grateful for you, too, for spending time with us. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. I would like to just extend a little invitation, two invitations. I've got two invitations for our people today. Invitation one, please join us for the uh, Good To Me book club. It's started already by the time that you will hear this podcast. Uh, The first book club will be in the history books, but we'll be coming back Wednesday and every night for the next eight nights after that, 10 nights total, right? Uh, At 7 p.m. West Coast time. That's 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And, uh, you know, there'll be probably half hour, 45 minutes. We will read to you. It will be soothing and wonderful and earnest. And also, we will talk about ideas and helping each other feel better about how things are going and where we're at in the midst of all of that. Mm -hmm. And it'll be great. So that's invitation one. Mm -hmm. Invitation two that I have for everybody is uh, please consider becoming one of our patron supporters. What this means. So Misfit Stars podcast is supported entirely by the people who believe in it. But it's not supported by everybody because everyone's at a different place in your life, right? And so what we kind of ask is if you are in a position to support the work that we do, please do that so that someone who's not in a position to support the work that we do can still take advantage of it and have it in their lives. You know, it's sort of a from each according to their ability to each according to their need kind of situation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we definitely have some people who aren't in a position where they can be a patron supporter of our work. And hey, you guys, you you are so welcome. You are part of our little club. You're part of our team. We're so stoked you're here. You enrich our lives every day immeasurably. And then there are also some people who are in a position in their lives where they can throw $10 a month at the work that we do in an ongoing way. You are the people who are paying for us to be able to do this, to cover our bills while we make the work that we make in the world, which hopefully enriches your life and other people's lives. So if you are listening to this and you are not yet one of our patron supporters, but you are in a position in your life where 10 bucks a month, you wouldn't even notice it if it were gone from your bank account, please take that inspiration and that idea and head on over to misfitstars.com support and just sign up to do that. Yeah. Because you doing that and other people like you doing that helps make our work available to everybody. That's and right. that's what keeps this engine going. That's right. And you've been saying $10 a month, but you get to choose your own adventure. Yes, you, that's you right. To, you get to choose the amount that you want to support. I say 10 because that's the average amount that people contribute, right? right? So that's just my little shorthand. And that's a, that's a good target. Shoot for the average. Hey, why not? Land right in the middle of the pack. <laughs> but there, I mean, it goes up from there and it also goes down. If you can only do five bucks a month, hey, that's incredibly meaningful to us that you would do that thank you and uh you know also by the same token if you're doing well in your life financially and you're like i could do 31 bucks i I could do a buck a day that's not a big deal for me i have a buck a day great there's a level for that too you just choose your own adventure yeah there's no difference it's not like you get anything quote unquote like for the different levels is any different than any other level it's just to give people who are at different places in their lives financially speaking the ability to support us in a way that makes sense to them that's all 
Misfitstars.com slash support. Thank you so much. We'll be back next week with another episode of Misfit Stars, the podcast. So exciting. Um, We hope to see you back here then. Yep. Uh, Until then, take good care of yourselves and be good to each other. Yeah, we love y'all. Bye. Bye. 